this morning <laughs> this morning uh, we chanted together we chanted the dharma together during morning service and now here again we've just chanted the dharma together did you notice And this earlier this morning, uh, during the morning service, we chanted a, a poem written by one of the, our ancestors. And the English translation of the poem is uh, "Precious Mirror Samadhi" or "Jewel Mirror Samadhi." And uh, it starts out in English: "The teaching of suchness." or the teaching, the dharma of suchness, the truth of suchness, the truth of suchness, the truth, the dharma, the teaching of the way, the way it is, the way it really is. the way everything really is. The truth of that. That's the first line. Second line is intimate transmission. Now, making a sentence out of that, they put a verb in between the, the truth of the way things are is intimately transmitted which is fine. Nice sentence. But another way to understand it is, which is also a sentence, the truth of suchness, the teaching of suchness, is intimate transmission. See the difference? The truth is intimately transmitted, Yes, that's true. But also the truth is intimate transmission. The, the dharma is intimate transmission. That's what it is. And the next line is, they all, again, they put in by. There's, there's no Chinese character for by. It actually just says Buddha ancestors. So it says, the truth of suchness is intimate transmission Buddha ancestors. What Buddha ancestors are, they're in, they are intimate transmission. They are the truth of suchness. But in conventional thinking, sometimes we say, this teaching is transmitted by Buddhas and ancestors. But really there are three different ways of saying the same thing. The teaching of the way things are, intimate transmission, Buddhas and ancestors. Do you sometimes trans chant uh, the harmony of difference and unity? Hmm? Yes. You do? Yes. So that one starts off very similarly. It says, the mind of the great sage of India 
And then it says intimate transmission again. The mind of the great sage of India is, is the teaching of Sushness. It's not like this. The teaching of Sushness, someplace, over there, up there, down here. And then there's the mind of the great sage. The mind of the great sage is intimate transmission. Have you, any of you heard a rumor about a theme for this retreat? So quite a few people said, no, haven't heard of a theme. Has anybody heard of a theme? Some have. So some have heard of a theme, others did not. That's fine. But for those who have heard a theme, I'd like to ask you, what theme have you heard? Bodhisattva's joyful practice in the midst of the suffering of the world. So almost everybody know. I, I guess you all know there's a lot of suffering, right? <laughs> <laughs> People are being cruel to each other. People are desecrating the earth. People are being unjust to each other. I guess you all, you all know about that, right? Also, sometimes we we ourselves feel depressed. We like uh, you know, it's like I haven't seen any positive sensation for quite a while. I haven't felt any any happiness. I don't feel much vitality. I'm having a hard time, and also when I look around. There's so much suffering around me, too. So much suffering. Uh, a couple of days ago, somebody said to me, I wonder what the suicide rate for teenage teenagers is in the United States. So I checked it out, and I, what I found was that in the 1990s, it was between 7 and 9% of teenagers have attempted suicide in this country. And then in the early 2000s, it was like 8%. And then in the later, and then in the, 2010, in the 2010s and up till now, the rate is 6%. But actually what led me to do that research was the real question that, that, that was actually also asked was, what's the suicide rate among trans people, what's some, of transgender people? What's the suicide rate of that minority? Uh, and the, the, the rate of thinking about suicide among trans people it, in recent times is 82%. And the amount, the, the, uh, the rate of, of actually attempting suicide is 40. So it's an example of a, of a minority 
that's being treated in such a way and feels treated in such a way that they barely can, they just can barely go on, a lot of them. We live in this world with, with people who are having a really hard time with life. And then this thing of joyful practice. What's the joyful practice? How can you have a joyful practice in a world of suffering? Well, the joyful practice is, is compassion. It's, is, compa- is compassion for all beings, for everything that happens with us and for the suffering of others. That bodhisattva practice of compassion is the greatest joy. There's other joys which are quite nice, like <laughs> the joys of, I don't know what, uh, building a, a Zen center and fixing the plumbing. <laughs> A year or so ago, I had this electric teapot for heating, actually, it's an electric hot water pot for making tea and coffee, and it didn't work. And somebody I lived with wanted to throw it out, and I said, don't throw it out, let me, let me try to fix it. And after a long time, I started to try to fix it, and I thought, well, I have to take it apart to see what's, what's going on inside the pot because it, it, it wasn't going on. And then I, the screws at the bottom of the pot, the head of the screw was a triangle. It wasn't a, it wasn't a I don't know, standard screwdriver, and it wasn't a Phillips screwdriver, and it wasn't an Allen wrench. I'd never seen a triangle head screwdriver, and uh, had a maintenance set at the temple where I live, hadn't seen one either. Anyway, somehow we found some kind of device that could get some traction in that screw head and unscrewed it, which was, you know, quite a joy. <laughs> and when I had that, and when I when that joy came, I thought, this is worldly pleasure. <laughs> worldly pleasure is not, you know, good. It's good stuff. Today I'm saying it's nothing compared to the joy of compassion. It's nothing. It's nothing. But it's really great. And then I look, and then I looked inside and I couldn't see any problems. I couldn't see anything loose or broken. So I just cleaned it. It was kind of grungy somehow. Somehow some dirt got in there even though I couldn't get in. The dirt could. So I cleaned it, put it back together, and turned it on and it worked. Another surge of worldly pleasure. <laughs> so I thought, yeah, worldly pleasure is really nice. <laughs> but it's temporary. And, uh, you know, it doesn't last. And also sometimes it doesn't come. And it keeps not coming. And what comes instead is worldly pain. But compassion is there for worldly pleasure 
nice going. Great, wonderful. It welcomes it. It's, and it's also there for all the different kinds of suffering. It can be there. <clears throat> and so there's an emphasis on what compassion is. What is it? Well, it's an intimate transmission. It's, 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 it's this intimate communion among all things between an individual per- being like me and all of you and all of you with each other and all of you with me. That's really what compassion is. <clears throat> it's, it's not fixing anything. It's just a joyful, holy communion. And by the way, it is the truth. That intimate transmission among us is really what our life is. And it is a, and it is pract- it's a it's a way of living. It's a practice. It's a practice. It's the practice of bodhisattvas. What's the practice of bodhisattvas? Intimate transmission. What's the practice of bodhisattvas? Bodhisattvas. What's the practice of bodhisattvas? It's the truth of the way things are. So we're do- we we bodhisattvas are are practicing a way that things are already. We're not practicing a way to make things some other way. We're practicing a way to realize the truth of the way things are. The intimate transmission. So this is what's being emphasized in these two in the two main poems in a way of our of our particular tradition, two poems written by two of our ancestors. The, uh, let's see, the, the 32nd ancestor, no, the 35th ancestor and the 37th ancestor. The 35th ancestor is Shurto, Sekito. He wrote The Harmony of Difference and Unity, which starts out the mind of the great sage of India. And the 37th, the 38th is Tozan Ryokai. He wrote The Precious Mir Samadhi. They both start out, what they're offering is the teaching of suchness. What they're offering is the mind of the great sage of India, which is bodhisattva practice. And, uh, and as you have also probably heard, uh, that this bodhisattva practice is perfect and all-pervading. So why do you need to practice it? Well, it turns out, although it's perfect and all-pervading, if you don't practice it, it's like it's like it's not what's happening. If we don't practice what's happening, it's like 
we're not with what's happening. And so we're just, we're not doing the practice. And the practice is joyful. And then not doing the practice is sometimes joyful and sometimes not. Not doing the practice, you can still have worldly pleasure. A lot of it sometimes. But sometimes you have to go a long time. When you don't do the practice, sometimes you don't get any worldly pleasure. But when you do do the practice, whether you get worldly pleasure or not, whether you build a Zen center or the Zen center gets destroyed, you still got your practice, or the practice of the mind of the sage. You cannot get away from this intimate communion. You can only forget it and get distracted from it. And even when you're distracted from it, you're still living right in the middle of it. You can't get away from it, because it's what's happening. So the chant we did this morning is the chant of our ancestor Dogen Zenji, who says that he vows, the original says I vow, we changed it to we vow, he said I vow from this life on throughout countless life to hear the truth, to hear the true Dharma, to hear the truth of intimate transmission, to hear the truth of the Bodhisattva practice. That's his vow. And when you hear this intimate transmission, you'll be free of doubt. And you'll be able to meet it and maintain it. And in maintaining this intimate transmission, the whole earth and all living beings together will attain the Buddha way. This is his vow, which is very similar to those other ancestors. And then he says, in the translation I think we have, it says, although, but I think however maybe works better. We, we vow to hear the true Dharma. We vow to hear and see and realize intimate transmission. However, our karmic, the consequences of our karmic activity have greatly accumulated. Indeed being the cause and conditions of obstacles in the way. So because of our past karma, our past thinking, basically, we, we think of things in such a way that we forget what we care about most. Or we forget that what's happening is calling for compassion. It's calling for intimate transmission. Everything's calling for this. And every, everything's calling for this. Everything's stimulating this. Everything's poking at this reality. We're poking at this reality all day long, touching it. And it's responding to us all day long. And sometimes the way we are, we forget that the way we are is calling for this transmission and, and responding to it. 
That's, that's our karmic consequences, is that stuff happens and we forget to practice. Practice what? We practice what's most important to us. So, there could be this cycle of remember, of, of actually not even, of understanding that this is what's most important to us. What is it again? The mind of the great sage of India. What is it again? Intimate transmission. This is what's most important in this world for the welfare of the world. If we want the welfare of the world, this is what's appropriate to the welfare, this intimate transmission. There's other kinds of transmissions that you've heard about, but they're not, but they, they, they may not, we might not understand the intimacy of the transmission, in which case it's not, we're distracted from it. So even when we realize this is what's most important in life, we can get distracted. Or we can even think, yeah, we, we can even think, I don't want to. I don't want to be involved in intimate transmission today. I want to get out of here. Or I don't want to do intimate transmission with that person. That person is just too cruel, too selfish, too stupid. No, no intimate transmission right now. Or I'm so bad, I do not want to be in intimate transmission with my suffering. But that's pretty severe, but anyway, it can be a milder thing of just forgetting about it. So then we have another practice, which is addressed in the verse we did today. We have this practice called Uh, confession and repentance or acknowledgement and regret or admission and embarrassment about what? about getting distracted from what's most important I just got distracted and I am I acknowledge it I got distracted from what's most important And I'm sorry. I'm, I regret that. And then you go back to the practice. And then you get distracted or whatever. And then you acknowledge it and feel embarrassed and go back. So there's this cycle which is described in the chant we did at the beginning. Great vow. To realize the mind of the Buddha to realize intimate transmission, and then karmic accumulations distracting and confusing us, and then noticing that, eventually noticing it, and saying, oh, I'm sorry, I got major distraction here. I really got off track. I'm so sorry. And what was it I got distracted from? Oh, what was it? What was it? Oh, yeah, right. The intimate transmission got distracted. Now I remember it. Now I remember it. Oh yeah. I'm home again. How wonderful. So let's take care of it now before we forget again. 
now that I remember, let's, let's, let's continue to remember and continue to remember. In other words, be mindful of this mind of the great sage of India. Remember it, moment by moment. Remember silence. Remember stillness. Shakyamuni means the silent one of the Shakya group. He lived in the Shakya clan. He was the silent one. He remembers silence and stillness. And in, and in that silence and stillness, he was an intimate transmission. The Buddha actually was remembering Buddhahood. The Buddha remembered intimate transmission. Earlier in the Buddha's career, the Buddha sometimes got distracted, like most bodhisattvas do. The Buddha got distracted. And the Buddha, I should say, the Bodhisattva. Before Buddha was a Buddha, the Buddha was just like us. He was a Bodhisattva who got distracted. And he noticed it. And he admitted it. And he felt embarrassed. And the Buddha tells some stories about himself when he was a Bodhisattva, about getting distracted from intimate transmission and being embarrassed. So I pray that we can remember silence and stillness, that we can remember silence and stillness while we're listening to a lot of noise and while we're talking and while we're moving, that we train. Part of this intimate transmission for bodhisattvas is to practice in ways that help us remember it. Part of the intimate transmission is remembering the intimate transmission. Part of taking good care of it is remembering it. Part of taking good care of it is to remember it by sitting still in a room like this where you really are not being asked to do anything else for quite a few periods of meditation. So part of the intimate transmission is to sit quietly and remember the transmission. And notice that even though nobody's asking you to do any fancy tricks in the world, you're being supported just to sit at your seat, that even then you get distracted from just sitting here taking care of the intimate transmission. Because again, karmic stuff comes up. Like, this is boring. I'm having trouble. I'm feeling sleepy. I don't, and I'm, I, I feel, I, I'm not, I don't want to sleep, and I'm uncomfortable with this sleepiness. Stuff like that happens when you're sitting. When I'm sleepy, it's hard for me to remember that the, 
the intimate transmission. Yeah, it might be hard if you're sleepy. It might be hard for you to remember the teaching of suchness. It might be hard. But if you're not sleepy, it also might be hard. <laughs> then it might just be, oh, same old thing. Mind of the great sage of India, mind of the uh, Give me a break. Do you really want a break? Oh, no, not really. Just like, kind of, sort of. <laughs> Same old thing, teaching of suchness, truth of suchness. Buddha, 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 Buddha. <laughs> But really, the, the intimate transmission is calling us to take care of it. It's being given to us, and then it's saying, please take care of it. So, again, the precious mirror samadhi, what does it say? The teaching of suchness. Intimate transmission. Buddha, Buddha, Buddha. Now you have it. So take care of it. Every moment is given to us. No moment it is not given to us. You've got it. Take care of it. And some people are working wholeheartedly in the kitchen, making meals, delicious breakfast, for example. Now, the third dish this morning was really delicious, but the oatmeal was also really good. It was high-quality oatmeal. There is the possibility that while making that delicious meal, the cooks could be remembering intimate transmission. It's possible. The teaching of the precious Mir Samadhi says, please take care of this precious Mir Samadhi. When you're sitting, yes. When you're working in the kitchen, yes. Please take care of it. And if you don't, there's a practice for you called confession and repentance. I got distracted. I'm sorry. So again, that's that's the normal process is awaken the mind or, or I shouldn't say awaken the mind, I should say the mind awakes to the mind of the Buddha. The mind awakes to intimate transmission and then and then, even though this wonderful thing has happened, the mind gets challenged and assaulted by things that it has trouble understanding are really saying, please take care of it. Please take care of it. Wherever we are, the teaching is saying, please take care of this thing that you have. 
Now you have it. And you had it before. And you'll have it in the future. But if we don't take care of it, it's like we don't have it. And, and then all we have is worldly pleasure, alternating with, with no worldly pleasure, and even the alteration is painful. But when we take care of it, it is a joyful practice. At least that's what I say. <laughs> Where is she? Where is she? There she is. Um, can we you oh look, can we use that? Whose seat is that? Nobody. You don't know? It's nobody's seat? Well, that's a good seat for everybody then, isn't it? <laughs> Could you move that, that cushion over there? And maybe back a little bit? Okay. Is, is, what's the speaker for the people who ask questions? Is this it? Is there another one for... If anybody wants to come up here and ask a question, you're welcome to do so. <clears throat> Can I have that, please? Could you put this for the people coming up? How does this work? Is it good? Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> Matt? You're welcome. And thank you. Can you everybody hear Matt? Am I audible? Yeah. Should I lean a bit maybe? I'll lean in just a little bit so I don't have to talk too loudly. Thank you. And now I'm distracted. <laughs> Are you sorry about that? I am sorry. <laughs> um, That's the practice. Yeah. By the uh, way, yes. at the end of the thing we chanted, it said that this practice of acknowledging our distraction and feeling sorry about it, that that practice is the pure and simple color of true practice. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. So... Some people, it seems to me, 
who really want to take care of it. Like, are really motivated to take care of it. Uh, they go to these special places. Maybe, like, camp or something. Sometimes for years. And, and it appears to me that what they do there is kind of take away a lot of the things that tend to distract us so that they can really focus on trying to take care of it. If... You know, it seems as though one possible outcome of that would be that you don't get the opportunity to make repentance as, as often because you possibly don't get distracted as often. Mm-hmm. You get to practice taking care of it um, and really kind of get it in your body. Um, so um, I guess what I'm wondering is if, if, if the practice is intimate transmission um, is, is, is say the life of a monk uh, or the practice the, 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 the practice of a monk is it how necessary is it in order to learn how to take care of it does that make sense it does it, it makes sense and it is a, you know, it's a 2,500-year uh, dilemma in, the, in our tradition. I would say, um, for most people, you have to, I think for most people, for most people, but not everybody, <laughs> um, it may be necessary to be in a <clears throat> in, in a monastic environment for part of their practice life. That's part of it. So in the monastic environment, there is, you could say, you could say there's a, re, a reduction of, of distractions from the intimate transmission, but you could also say there isn't really a reduction they're just an increase of reminding people of the distractions. So if you go into a bar and, and, and remind the people that, about the distraction, they'll just throw you out. But if you, if you remind people in a, in a monastery, people sometimes welcome it. They sometimes ask for it. They sometimes say, please, if you notice me being distracted from the Bodhisattva practice, please, would you please... Give me feedback, and uh, even there, sometimes people say, "I don't actually, I don't want it today." But it's more like I think people in monasteries are are probably basically about as distracted as people other places. It's just that in the monastery, there's lots of formal reminders 
Oh, yeah. I'm distracted. The bell rings. Oh, yeah. I, I actually don't want to go. I don't want to go and sit and take care of it. Oh, my God. It's amazing. Should I go? Well, okay, I'll go. But I, I'm, I'm like Mr. Distracted right now. I don't want to sit there and, and, and take care of this inconceivable, ungraspable, wondrous miracle. I don't want to take care of it. I want to, I want to keep reading uh, <clears throat> this book about Buddhism. <laughs> or whatever. And, I'm, and, and I noticed it and I'm sorry. And I also in, in, the, in, in the monastic situation, people are, are on a regular basis confessing that they get distracted, that they've been getting distracted for a, from beginningless time. They acknowledge that over and over as a group too. Whereas outside the monastery, people sometimes don't even acknowledge that they're distracted. So sentient beings are numberless and their distractions and the afflictions are inexhaustible. The afflictions are basically the distractions. They're things that happen that we can't remember what's important in life. So it says, sentient beings are numberless, I vow to save them. For now I would say, sentient beings are numberless, I vow to be intimate with them. Sentient beings, afflictions are inexhaustible. Greed, hate, and delusions inexhaustible. I vow to be intimate with it. That's my vow. There's also a teaching. Sentient beings are numberless. We are intimate with them all, and they with us. That's a teaching. My vow is I want to realize that. Afflictions, we're intimate with all afflictions. That's the teaching. And these afflictions are, are actually in an intimate transmission with each other. And that intimate transmission liberates all the afflictions. I vow to realize that. And I want to be in a, in a, right now, I, I forget so often that I want to be in a place with other people who forget really often, but also remind me. And where we and where the structure of the of the society reminds us. I just read. Actually, I just listened to an English translation of this guy named Leo Tolstoy. <laughs> he wrote a book called Anna Karenina, and in one of the places it says, "If you." If you, if you sit cross-legged, if some people can sit cross-legged, and they can sit cross-legged, you know, as long as they want. Perfectly comfortably. But if they have to sit cross-legged a certain amount of time, not just how much they want, they, they can't do it. They just really have a hard time. And... Yeah, I remember back in 1970, I was in a session and a man came who could sit all day in his apartment. And he came into the session, which has these 40-minute periods, 
and he couldn't sit one 40-minute period because it was set. The group was sitting there and everybody started at this time, not when he wanted to or not when they wanted to, but you know, almost nobody wants to start right at the time. And then it goes to... He, and he, and he, was, he left the session not because of his great failure at being able to follow the schedule, because it was so hard for him to sit 40 minutes walking, 40 minutes, even though he could sit all day long by himself. He left because he was laughing so much at this amazing thing that was happening, that this person who could sit all day couldn't sit for 40 minutes in the zendo with the people who are trying to remind ourselves. So if <laughs> some people can sit all day because they're really good at entertaining themselves. You know? Although they might not move, they can do a lot of other stuff really interesting. Like this guy used to watch the, the shadows in his room go, you know, go from morning till night. That was one of his entertainment systems. So, yes, we do need the monastery to learn how to meditate. However, and, and the monastery is a place where other people, new generations, generation after generation of bodhisattvas can come to learn how to meditate. But they're supposed to leave the monastery after they learn how and go out and be challenged in, in, in new situations where they also will be distracted, but now they know how to deal with their... They know how to deal with noticing they're distracting, confessing and repenting it, so they can keep turning the Dharma in situations where they don't have a lot of support and reminders. So the monastery, I think, is necessary. But most people are not going to stay in the monastery their whole life. But a few people they keep around for quite a few years. For some reason, some people stay many, many years in the monastery. But uh, most people just come in and learn how to practice this bodhisattva compassion, and then they go out and do it in... Other, other situations. And it's not so much that the other situations are more difficult, it's more like there's less reminders. So they have to incorporate the reminders. And one of the main reminders to incorporate is confession and repentance. Oh yeah, I'm sorry, I got distracted. I'm sorry, I got distracted. I'm sorry, I got discouraged. I'm sorry, I got disappointed. And when I got discouraged, and when I got disappointed, I forgot to practice compassion with my disappointment and my discouragement, and I'm sorry. I'm embarrassed. But I'm also joyful because I'm doing a, jo a joyful practice that the Buddha did. It's a joyful practice of feeling the pain of my own shortcomings. So thank you for your question. This place is to train people so that they can meditate here and then so they can meditate everywhere. But it doesn't mean that here we don't slip up. We will. 
It doesn't mean when we leave here, after we're trained, we won't slip up. We will. It's just we know what to do. Because we trained, we trained, we trained, and we trained. Thank you. Any other offerings this morning? Yes, please. If you're not comfortable sitting, you can stand. What about those people? Yeah. I mean, they they want to take care really of it. Helped. They want to take care of it, but they don't know how. And, right. Or they only had. All they can do is try, try, yeah. try, try. Yeah. So that's one way to take care of it is try. However, although although <laughs> although they're trying to take care of it, they still don't know how to take care of it, right? Right. 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 And so they're trying, but they say, "I'm trying, but I really don't know how." Okay. So what you're what you're bringing up now is like it's like a scene from one of the greatest bodhisattva sutras. It's called uh, it's called what's it called? It's called uh, Ganda Vyuha. It's the last chapter of the great flower adornment scripture. And in that scripture, this this little boy, I don't know how, he's a boy anyway, could be a girl. Anyway, this boy meets Manjushri, and in the meeting, he really, this this thing comes up in him, which is this, (laughs) excuse the expression, world-class aspiration to attain authentic awakening for the welfare of the world. It arises in him in this intimate transmission with Manjushri. And so he wants to do the bodhisattva practice in order to realize this authentic awakening. And then he says to Manjushri after this awakening, after this arousing of this wish, this Bodhi mind arises. He says to Manjushri, I want to do this, but I don't know how. And Manjushri says, that's great. You should go see so-and-so. <laughs> and so he goes and sees so-and-so. And so-and-so is the second teacher he meets. And he, he meets 53 teachers in that sutra. And each teacher he goes to, he says, I really want to do this bodhisattva practice. You know, he's just full of enthusiasm for it. But I don't know what it is, he says. To each teacher, he says, I really want to do the bodhisattva practice, but I don't know what it is. And each teacher then gives him a teaching. And then, and then each teacher, after giving his teachings, the teachers then say, and this bodhisattva path, and then they describe the bodhisattva path. They describe the intimate transmission. 
And then they say, so how would I know what it is? So you asked me what it was, I gave you a teaching, but I don't know what it is either. <laughs> so you should go see so-and-so. He does this over and over. So those who wish to take care of this intimate transmission, they very well might feel like they don't really know what it is. So again, this is part of the wonderful sense of humor of Zen and sense of humor of the Mahayana is that people really want to realize something and they don't really know what it is. But they go ahead wanting to realize it even though they don't. This is the great irony. Children sometimes want to be something like a mother, a father, a world champion X or Y, a doctor, whatever. They want to be something. They know they're not it, but they think they know what it is. A mature person is the same. They want to be a bodhisattva caregiver of the intimate transmission. They want to be it, but they don't really know what it is. So what you do is you go meet a teacher or you know a good friend and the, the variety of, of teachers that this person visits, like great variety. About half the teachers are female and goddesses, and, you know, many, many different kinds of teachers. Is it, they're all called really good friends, actually. So we then <clears throat> we go and tell our good friends that we want to take care of this intimate transmission and ask them for their teaching. <clears throat> And, and you could think of that as trying to do the practice, but you might, you're, 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 what you think it is might change. But the thing is that you keep wondering, what is it? I want it. What do I want? I want the mind of the great sage of India. I want to realize intimate transmission. And I'm wanting something, but I don't know what it is, and I still want it. And you came and asked about it right out of the sutras. So please continue asking anybody that's appropriate. Like, if you ask children, they might just be scared. <laughs> if you tell them that you want to practice intimate transmission. <laughs> so, you know, it's in a, in a, with these good friends, you can bring this awesome topic up. They can handle it. You can ask your your question. You can confess your limited views that you don't know. This is the practice. Thank you. say, will I discuss in, what intimate? What, what intimate transmission means? What's the definition of intimate? Um, the definition of intimate is, well, let's see. 
it's it's like vast space. It's ungraspable. It's unlimited. Nobody can control it. Nobody owns it. And it responds to living beings. And it responds from not having anything. So this intimacy is responding to each other with with nobody having anything. Like somebody said to me this morning, I have so much gratitude. I said, I said, yes, there's so much gratitude, but we don't have it. We don't have the gratitude. We're just all it says, it says now you have it. We really don't have it. So, uh, uh, if you um, if you're listening to me or looking at me, and you are not clear that what I'm what I'm trying to offer you is more about this intimacy, please ask, because basically that's what I will. Uh, you say you want some more, I will be give you more. There's no end to it. Like right now. It's not that what I'm doing is intimacy. What we're doing together, this conversation is not... I'm not doing the conversation. I'm just offering some words. Some, I'm offering conversation pieces. And you're nodding your head, which is another conversation piece. And if you turn your head another way, that will be another conversation. So we, we, you and I and everybody here, is contributing to the conversation. The conversation, you know, Warren doesn't own the conversation more than you do or more than I do. We're, we're in it together. We're chanting the sutras together. This thing we're doing together, which nobody, none of us own and none of us can get away from, this conversation is like vast space. And nobody owns it, and nobody can get away from it. And it, it, this conversation matures beings, matures bodhisattvas. And there's no end to talking about it. In other words, there's no end to the conversation. The conversation keeps demonstrating it. The conversation keeps. The conversation realizes it, not me or you, but but the way we're in conversation realizes the intimacy. Did you say a little bit? 
Yeah, a little bit. Can we talk a lot? Um, well, we can talk a lot. We can talk as much as you want. I know some um, traditions have formal, formalized confessions and repentance, and it feels like repentance requires forgiveness, or maybe forgiveness is a part of repentance. So I'm just wondering if you could say a little more about that. Um. The word forgiveness is not... Uh, <clears throat> you don't see it so often in Buddhist literature. But what you do here is <clears throat> liberation. For the English word forgiveness has a certain quality to it of when you're forgiven, it means that you're not going to get punished for what you, for what you said. So the... But... In the, in, the Buddha, in the Buddhist presentation of confession and repentance, it's more like this confession and repentance is, is liberation, is freedom. Rather than somebody other than you is not going to punish you or is not going to be mean to you, you know, for what you did. Rather than that, it's your act, that this activity is going to free you. A little bit different emphasis. Yeah. I'm not saying that forgiveness isn't... I think forgiveness is good for people who are forgiven, but for the person who's confessing, uh, forgiveness may be a little bit off the, off the mark. Like they're trying to get some people to forgive them. Oh, I see. Because you could be forgiving... Your, you could forgive yourself, and you could also ask for forgiveness from someone else. You could, uh, yeah. yeah, you could, and 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 you, you could forgive yourself, and that might be like, okay, I did something I'm really sorry about, which is I, I acknowledge I did I was distracted from what's most important in life. I regret that, mm-hmm. and I regret that, and and I forgive myself for it. <clears throat> that 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 sort of in, that could be there. I, I think I think I kind of forgive myself, like I notice something like that, and I say, you know, kind of, like, but not, you know, like silly boy, you know. You're still doing that. You're still trying to get something out of something, you know. But the the feeling is like I I'm okay. I, I forgive you. With uh, it's okay that you're that way, something like, and you'll probably be that way again. But there's in some, so. But that is not so much what I see emphasized in this tradition. What I see emphasized is that the practice will liberate us from from everything, including the short. There's more suffering than just our shortcomings. It'll liberate us from everything. So, and again, if I forgive somebody else. It's almost like I didn't forgive them a little while ago. Somehow like, okay, I have a problem with you and now I forgive you. You know, I was holding something back. Oh, until you asked, I didn't. Yeah, and and until you, I couldn't, I had a problem with you until you confessed. But once you confessed, I could could forgive you. So I was actually not feeling very generous towards you until you confessed. So the... So it's good for me to forgive you because I was being kind of not, 
I wasn't being generous before you confessed. And there's, that's part of the process, too, <clears throat> is that if someone does something cruel and they don't acknowledge that they did something cruel, then it's hard, then I have, and I have a problem with they did something cruel. And my problem with ha- them having done something cruel could be that I'm having trouble being compassionate towards this person who I think is being cruel. That's, yeah, my thought, I, that thought that they're being cruel is, is kind of like, I can't get, I'm stuck in that. They're being cruel, and I don't want to. I don't want to be give them. I don't want to be really compassionate and really generous and give them everything. But when they confess, I say, "Oh, now, now I can, now now I can give you everything." That's kind of like forgiveness. Yeah. So forgiveness for me towards others, kind of, it's kind of removes an obstacle to the practice that I wanted to be doing in the first place. So somebody else tells me their shortcomings, and then it evokes my shortcomings. So if, 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 you, if somebody does something, or confesses even, let's just say they do something cruel, and then I notice I'm not feeling compassionate. So now if I could forgive them, that would maybe remove the obstacle of me being, huh? from me. Yeah. And... And then they might experience forgiveness as me being generous to them. Mm-hmm. So for me, it might be that, my, that the obstacle in me to being generous, the obstacle in me to being compassionate is removed by me forgiving. And they may notice the forgiveness is that now I can really like be willing to be the, a really good friend to them. And, and some people are that way, that they... People have tortured them, and when the people come and confess that they've tortured, they've been able to be compassionate to the, their own torturer. But before that, they had a problem with their own torturer, to say the least. They weren't feeling compassion towards their torturer. But when the torturer confessed, they, their body saw the heart opened. <laughs> Thank you. That's very helpful. You're welcome. And you said in some did you say in some traditions they have formal confession and repentance? Yes. Yeah, I think we have formal confession and repentance here too. So for now, I just say that in the morning when we when we say all my ancient twisted karma, that is formal confession and repentance. <clears throat> and there's other formal confession and repentance procedures, like. Uh, um, uh, the abbess and I went to a ceremony in Los Angeles last fall and they had a very elaborate formal confession and repentance ceremony where people brought little pieces of paper and gave them to the, the person leading the ceremony and, and, the, the, and on it it said all my little all my little shortcomings on the paper and they gave that paper to the leader of the ceremony. That was a formal confession and repentance. More, more elaborate than we do in the morning. But there's also formal, excuse me, there's also formless confession and repentance, which is 
to remember the intimate transmission of the Buddha Dharma. Just to be, to be to meditate on reality of intimate transmission. That is called formless confession and repentance. And then if we get distracted from formless confession and repentance, which is to contemplate the way things really are, that contemplation of the way things really are will release us from all of our karmic all of our karmic uh, patterns. But the formal also does. The formal is like has a certain form and there's different varieties. The formless is there's only one formless practice. The teaching of suchness and and meditating on it is the formless repentance. They're not better than we need both. We need the formal every morning. And also, some people say that the origins of doksan, uh, that before we had this term doksan, the origins of that Zen form of going to meet the teacher. And people often do say specific things when they go to meet the teacher. And the teacher listens to them with compassion, hopefully. That the origins of that is the formal confession of repentance in Buddhism that was done in a group, but then it can also be done with one person. But that's still formal. The formless, in a sense, whenever you're really sitting in this room and really opening to the, the way things are, you're practicing confession and repentance in a formless way which has a function beyond the formal. They, they both have their role. But I think we need both. I think a Zen center that doesn't have the formal, I think they might not understand the formless. But we can talk about that more. And more. And again, Dogen says, this... this uh, also, it's confessing and repenting before Buddhas. So you're confessing and repenting in the context of contemplating Buddhas. That's what it says in that chant. So in a way, Zazen is confessing and revealing and disclosing ourselves with the Buddhas. So remembering the Buddhas as we reveal ourselves. We reveal ourselves in the presence of Buddhas. It can also be called Zazen. And also it says to sit upright and do that practice, right? Sit upright and reveal and disclose yourself in the presence of Buddhas. It's formless repentance. And that's the pure and simple color of true practice. <laughs>